0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot,
2: Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're
1: in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer.
0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com.
2: Welcome to the Ball's Hogger of Liberty podcast. This is episode number 275 of the Central Man's favorite podcast. I'm Jeremiah Morrill. Today I am joined by our co-host, Mr.
0: Dakota Davis. Today's episode features two uh, Democrat candidates that are running to represent the citizens of Henry County and other areas. In the state house, we have Nan Polk, who is the District 54 candidate. Uh, for your state representative and then we have Dr. Ron Itnire, who is your district 27 state Senate candidate. Like I said, those are they are both running on the Democrat ticket uh, for both of their respective races. We're going to be talking to both of these folks about education, economic development, uh, the impact of the Dobbs decision which sent abortion back to the states on Indiana and their opinions on that. land use, straight ticket voting, roads and infrastructure in it, the state of Indiana. COVID-19, the food and beverage tax, and then at the very end, we're going to talk about Indiana legalizing medical cannabis or recreational cannabis, what, whatever their thoughts are. So make sure you stick around until the very end.
2: Uh, I do want to remind everybody as well that we did invite all of the candidates in these races. Uh, thankfully, Nan and Ron were both able to accept our invitation. The other candidates, uh, we weren't able to work it out. But uh, our door is always open, and we'll make the time if they' are uh, if they are able to join us in the future. Uh, this show is about our lives in rural Indiana. We're here to push your boundaries and make you think as individuals. Sometimes it'll provoke you, other times will make you laugh, but hopefully you'll always learn something new. We've been having a bit of an adventure with our technology in here, so we welcome our to,
0: audience If I seemed a little uh, frazzled.
2: <laughs> we welcome <laughs> our audience that's listening to the wonderful audio version of this podcast. You remind you it is a podcast. Uh, video is a feature, not a bug. Uh, but uh, sometimes it doesn't always participate. So I don't know if we're going to have to buy some new equipment. We're going to have to do some, uh, I don't know, unplugging, replugging, put some WD-40 on something, but we'll figure it out, and we'll get it sorted out by, by next time. Uh, Got to say thank you so much to our patrons that make, uh, that make all of this possible. Uh, you get access to all kinds of cool stuff, uh, including... Uh, a Patreon that was accidentally live streamed to the world, but had clippings, so they still don't know what it is. Uh, but we did I'm anger. So sorry. But we did anger people. So sorry. With sorry. It. Uh, but if you're a patron, you do get to have uh, have that emailed directly to you in audio form. And if you give it fifty dollars or more a month, uh, you get your name read off at the top of the episode, little mini
0: commercial just for you. In uh, this week, those folks are Miss Christy Avery from all the way in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, Mr. Jonathan Phillips, our favorite car dealer in the continental United States. And then Mr. Anthony Meyer, who is our favorite long haul trucker. If you are a member of the Patreon and then you are also a member of the Facebook Patreon members group and any memes that you see from the boss Hog of Liberty podcast, I guarantee you that those have been made by Anthony Meyer, the chief memer. Um, it's an unpaid position, unfortunately. Special thanks to our
2: Candidate Series sponsors, as always, Wyland's Flowers, The Slick Pickle, and Big Bounce Inflatables for your ongoing support. Uh, I think that our T-chip store is getting ready to end. So if there's something in there you've been eyeballing and you want to get to get your hands on it, uh, jump on the website, click on the uh, T-chip the link, and get some of that really quickly. All right. I think that's all the business we have to take care of. Dakota, start us off.
0: All right, uh, so both of you guys are the Democrat candidates. I want to talk to uh, both of you about your background, education experience, all those types of things, um, your work experience, and also uh, what made you what made you really think about running. Uh, let's start with let's start with you, Nan, because we've already had you on the show, so just give us a little refresher.
3: All right, well, I am Nan Polk. I am uh, born and bred right here in Newcastle. I live, um, just west of town on my husband's family farm. And it's actually my grandkids make the fifth generation that live in the house where my father-in-law was born. So quite a, quite a legacy there. Um, I went to, um, Butler University for my undergrad. Um, got a, uh, BS and have, uh, masters of arts from Ball State. I teach. I had actually a double major in chemistry and biology. And that's basically what I taught. I taught two years at uh, Rushville, and then I finished out my career with 30 years at Newcastle, which is where I graduated from. Um, my husband and I have been married for, I think if you get to this point, you just say forever, for 48 years.
2: <laughs> that is spectacular. Congratulations on that. Yeah.
3: Well, thank you. Um, we just had our wedding anniversary, actually this month. Um, What's the big
2: fiftieth? Boat- I assume something at the state house, some sort of a big gala. Yeah. in the rotunda.
3: I, I, sounds yeah. good to me. All right, I'll, I'll do that. I'll take that.
2: I look forward to an invitation.
3: Perfect. Um, let's see. I, uh, like I said, I worked at uh, Rushville in Newcastle, um, and I, uh, I'm seeing, I'm looking at my sheet to see if I'm covering everything. I uh, had some health issues and I had to retire early. And when I did retire, I started working at a program called Cradles and it provided childcare for teen parents and parents that were at school. And I started off um, there teaching the parenting class. I ended up um, being president of the board and we, um, we folded for lack of funds. I don't know. Do you want me to go ahead and, and talk about why I'm running for this seat, or do you want Ron to talk a little bit about yeah, his absolutely. background? Just tell us. Okay, so... Yeah, I'm...
2: Your biggest motivator, I guess, for, for yeah, jumping yeah, yeah. in.
3: Okay. Um, working at Cradles, um, I really saw, even more so than what I was aware of in the classroom, what happens to families in... Um, what generational poverty looks like, and some of the struggles um I kind of was surprised because I would have thought being a classroom teacher I would have been aware of all the stuff, but I focus you know on on my curriculum and in trying to get the kids ready for a test and you know the periodic table since I was teaching chemistry um at cradles I saw um I had a girl whose um mom got out of prison and um then ended up stealing baby formula for her child. So she was coming to me saying, where can I get more baby formula? And I was like, you get baby formula. Well, mom stole it. Um, I had a child that um, was only alive because when her dad shot the whole family, she was staying with a friend. Um, those kinds of things are just woke me up to a whole nother level of need in in the community. And um, when cradles folded, I was not ready to stop serving those people. And it kind of put me on a quest. And um, I just saw all these different places where there was need. And um, eventually, what it took me to is there really needs to be some laws changed and and to help people and um, that piece of it and i've been for 30 years an advocate at the state house for around education so and i'm on the school board and i've been on the school board for the last nine years so between those two um, areas um, being aware of the needs of families and being aware of the needs of education it just was it took me to the state house
2: Very good. And once again, Nan is running for district 54, district 54,
3: the house of representatives,
2: which is now an open seat. It's, It's, it's Nan and Corey Criswell are the two names that'll be on the ballot this year. Tom Saunders has, has retired or is retiring. Um, and retired now, and then got called back for a session,
0: special <laughs> they, session.
3: They had his party, though. I, I think he's say, dead I, now. He I, had his retirement party. I
2: attended his party. I saw Nan there on uh, on Friday, and Tom picked up a second sagamore of the Wabash. So I think I think they compensated him for the extra days he had to, he had to do by giving him the sagamore. They
0: came yeah. back for and then and then the Dobbs decision. So <laughs> wow. Yeah. He was like, what the heck? <laughs>
2: All right. So let's, let's get to know Ron a little bit. You are running for state Senate, and this area of the state has been redistricted. Everybody got redistricted, but we we're picking up a new state Senate seat. Uh, so Jean Lysing is, was our senator just two years ago. Jean was on the ballot, but she has been redistricted further to the south. So the Richmond area is now tied in with Henry County. Uh, so Senate District 27 is, is our area. And Ron, you are, you're, you're making a shot at it here. Yes. So, but it is not an open seat. This is, there's, there's Jeff Ratz is the incumbent. Yes. All right. So tell okay. us about yourself and what way you said, you know what? 2022 is the year. <laughs>
4: um, well, my background, I was uh, raised on a uh, grain and beef farm in Northern Illinois. Uh, I'm an only child. Um, and, but my parents had that uh, family farm, learned so much there. Uh, went to the University of Illinois, studied agricultural science, found out that I was a perpetual student, so I stayed for my master's, um, and I have a master's in, a master's of science in, uh, um, uh, well, basically corn, corn genetics. Um, I was told not to do any kind of jokes on things like this, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, no, I come up with corny no, puns. No corny jokes, a bit no, loud, Ron. Oh, darn. <laughs> um. And then it ended up staying on for a PhD uh, in plant pathology. So another exciting topic. Um, uh, I'm married. Uh, I've only been married for 26 years. Um, have, uh, I got you beat. You got me beat. You got me beat. Um, my wife is an English professor at IU East, uh, has been there since 1999. I uh, have a 20-year-old daughter who is a junior at IU Bloomington studying environmental science. And both of her parents are strong environmentalists, so didn't take that far for her to yeah. to, to fall off uh, to get into that uh, topic. Um, I uh, when I first graduated I worked with a, a seed corn company outside of West Lafayette um, actually with the what would you now're familiar with this country mark and then I moved when we moved to Richmond I was able to get a job with a small seed corn company that doesn't sell directly to the farm farmers. Uh, I moved to IU East in uh, 2009 uh, to uh, teach introductory biology, microbiology, and uh, the list has gotten fairly long. And I found out that uh, um, uh, Dakota's wife uh, had uh, had her, or she had me, I don't know how many years ago. Uh, I would guess 2016,
2: ago. 2017?
4: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Somewhere okay. in
2: there. Uh, if, but, I'm, if I'm keeping track of Dakota's uh, life and yeah. wife for him.
4: Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe 15. Prove, prove me wrong, Maybe Andre. 15, actually. <laughs> Um, I have uh, been involved in the, the Richmond community. We've lived in Richmond the entire time. Um, I'm on the Richmond Street Tree Committee. Um, I think I've, I'm on there for life. Are there any major controversies on the Street t- Tree Committee? <laughs> uh, well, when somebody comes in and says, You're, we'd like our, the tree taken down in front of our house, and we say no, that becomes kind of a con- controversial. It's a healthy tree. Why do you want it taken down? You know, we, we get into that. Because um, it's a pear tree, <laughs> an invasive pear. Well, yes, yes. Pears.
2: Trouble. There's trouble down in Pear, in pear Town.
4: It's a paradise. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh,
2: that's two. I no, know, I know. That's Sorry. two, <laughs> and we are oh, boy twelve oh, minutes. Okay. In. I, I, I will. I will try to
4: continue. The, the clock is running on Ron's pun <laughs> talk chat. This is going to be fun. All right. <laughs> um, the reason I got into this race, uh, I had friends that uh, on Facebook were saying in January um, that. If Senate Bill 167 passes, I am going to quit, uh, and friends of mine were going to quit. And I, and for those that don't have their Senate Bill calculator oh, in their pocket, no one, no one has that. Uh, Senate Bill 167 is uh, um, uh, basically the anti-CRT bill, which was uh, cannot cause teachers cannot cause distress for students, and there was a whole series of limitations that were going to be uh, tra- causing. Um, the uh, direction of the curriculum um, and so forth, and teachers were saying, "I'm not getting paid enough for this," and so they were saying that we're going to do that, or we're going to basically uh, find a different profession. And I got ready to write to Senator Rots, who was on the education committee, and say, "This is bad for teachers. This is bad for education." And that's when I found out that Senator Rots was a co-author on the bill, and I thought, I. Uh, it's probably my reaching out to him is probably not going to make a difference. And I checked to see if anybody was running against him and there was no one on the horizon that was going to run. So I decided to, to take that up. It was your turn. It's my turn. Your, your, uh, your responsibility.
2: All right.
4: Very good. Well, Ron,
2: you got us to exactly where we were going next anyway. Uh, and that was the edge topic of public education or education in Indiana. Mm-hmm. The responsibilities of the, uh, of the state house. Um, obviously that's one of your biggest motivators. Um, and there's, there, I know that what Nan has talked about as well is is pre-K and childcare and, and issues around that. So I obviously in an hour, hour and 20 minute show, we don't have time for absolute detailed policies, but tell us what to expect from Senator entire, uh, when it comes to education policy?
4: Oh, so, uh, short term, uh, I would not vote for any bill that makes it harder for teachers to do their job. And that's what Senate bill 167 house bill 1134. were going to do. Uh, I trust the teachers as experts in their field. They've gone to college for it. They have worked at getting the right material for the right, uh, age appropriate material for the kids that they are dealing with. I mean, I have IUEs has an education program. Ball State has an education program. People who are certified will have the proper education for making those kinds of decisions. That's not a decision that the State House really needs to, to be involved in. Uh, longer term, um, there were 2,500 teacher openings two weeks before classes started. Uh, it's not like we can slow down the assembly line or shut down a shift at a factory in a school. You shift kids and you get 40, 30, 40, 50 kids in a classroom. And I know from my own experience teaching at the college level, it is really hard. The more students you get, it, it's harder and harder to teach the material. And so longer term, we need to provide more funding for, uh, for public education. Ninety, Dan, we were talking about this, about 94% of the kids in the state of Indiana are public educated.
3: In our districts, it's it's more like ninety eight.
2: Yeah. So the the counter challenge to that, or what we've heard from from folks saying, "Hey, you know, we we pour an incredible amount of money into into public education. It's a I don't know what Mm -hmm. is it a third of a third of what your property taxes go towards is is funding funding public education fifty four percent. What uh, people say? Well, what's the number? Right? There's never it's never enough. So is it? Is it a matter of we'd need more money or is it a policy issue or is it, hey, there's too much money to administration, not to teachers? Are, are some of those finer points in your consideration?
4: One, one of the things that I've found out over these, uh, what is it now? Today or is uh, October, started in February, these last eight months, these issues are really, really, really complex. And we need to develop a complex response to it that involves getting a lot of people involved in that decision-making process. Um, so in my situation, I work in, in academia, I work in, in, at, at, at the college level, I don't know as much about K 12. So I would reach out to the experts that are, uh, have spent their life learning about the issues associated with K 12. I would reach out to administrators. I would reach out to teachers. I would reach out to parents to see what what is working where, what isn't working, what kind of suggestions would they give to work to improve the situation. So I, I you know, what I've come up with, you know, the those couple of examples that I gave of getting more funding to it. You're right. Um, administrative over, oversight has come has taken up a bigger and bigger part of the budget uh, for uh, for the years.
0: What do we need to do? Well, we just so happen to have someone very familiar with the K-12 education. Yes, we do. (laughs) So, uh, Nan, tell us what your thoughts
3: are. I've really, um, you know, been in the classroom. um, And in the classroom, I was a member of ISTA, and I... Like I said, I've been to the state house and been right. an advocate well, for education. Whenever we use
2: jargon, we have to stop it because I'm not that smart. ISTA means
3: Indiana State Teachers Association. Okay, and now I'm a member of the ISBA, the Indiana State Schools Board Association. I've been on the school board for nine years, so I've seen that piece of it too. Um, we do have, and, and they are touting that they're you know this is record um, record amount of money that's being given. Well. The money's federal money. It's called ready money. And it's a lot of it that's being given is only available for three years because that's all that the COVID money is allotted for. And a lot of that has gone for things like HVAC systems and um, school renovations. We've used some of ours to make our schools more safe. 25% of all new money goes to non-public schools. When they say that they are school public school champions, yeah, they're fudging a little bit. There is money out being allocated, but 25% of all new money is going to non-public schools. Um, and like I said, a lot of the money that they're saying is record money that they're divvying out is federal money, and it's it's only for three years. We've- so
0: the, that 25% doesn't seem to match up like with how... like There's 25% of all new money going to non-public schools, but like you said, in your district... There's 98% exactly. of students that go to public schools.
2: Good point. When we have competition for student dollars, right? If the money follows the kid, absolutely. Depending what school they go to, you find that school corporations are chasing students. So a kid absolutely go mm-hmm. to Newcastle says, hey, no, I'm going to... It's that, real competitive. The, that child's going now going to go to try, or they're going to go to Charles yep. A. Beard. Is that system healthy for the students and for the school corporations?
3: Um. It makes us competitive, but I would say overall, no. Um, it, what happens a lot in actuality is um, a kid does get bullied, and or maybe their boyfriend or girlfriend moves, or maybe they want to be more competitive in athletics. So there are a lot of things that we would have had to work through one way, a different way, and today they just they just change schools. They
2: just have mobility to, they have to mobility, go to their school.
3: Right. There have been a certain hun- kids have mobility. Certain kids, mm-hmm. right? There have been 140 bills last year that were presented to the legislature um, around public schools, just public schools. Um, it's a ridiculous number. Um, of course, not all of those passed. Um, I can only think of one off the top of my head that really was helpful. Most of those undermine a teacher's ability to teach.
0: Right. Whenever I was uh, going. Jeremiah, this was a rare occasion where Jeremiah and I both worked on the show notes today is this,
2: uh, this is a camel built by both of us uh, and nobody's whenever,
0: happy uh, usually whenever we put together show notes for candidates especially at the state house level mm-hmm. we like to reference specific bills sure uh, it, we just are covering so many topics tonight we didn't really have room for it but I looked up I went to the uh, Indiana State General Assembly website
3: yes I went to you. the
0: search bar and I typed in education. <laughs> <laughs> and of course that pulls up all the senate and house bills. did you find a few oh my goodness it, I had to come through a few because I was specifically looking for the two that you mentioned that talked so then I had to go through on my actual computer and further filter the results not through the website but searching for Marxism because I knew that Marxism was mentioned in both of those bills as like they did, were trying to outlaw the teaching of Marxism in schools that I found them. Uh, yeah. So it was funny you mm. mentioned both of those at the top of the show because I just read them today.
3: Uh, another point. Um, a lot of those bills dealt with dealt with curriculum and parent input. Being in schools and being on the school board, you know, we need parents when we do strategic planning. We need parents when we do curriculum. We need parents when we do book adoption. Um, I've gone to PTO meetings and tried to have input in different things. There are three people at a PTO meeting. Right. You know how hard it is to get people to work on strategic plans or book adoption. It's it's not like we are trying to keep parents out. We are very much trying to get pe- parents to participate.
0: Desperate for parents to participate.
2: Absolutely. Was the lobbying? Do you feel like the lobbying was successful of teachers and their their concern the at, and- at the beginning of the year and and the changes that ma- that were made?
3: Actually. Um, I do think there was some success. Um, the Senate bill morphed into the House bill, and that was 1134. And much of that was defeated. But I've already heard them say that it's it's going to be put into pieces, and a lot of that is going to come back. Um, they want curriculum oversight. Um, however, people need to understand the curriculum the standards come from the Department of Ed and are already approved by the legislature. And if you go into any textbook, you will see information, and then right beside it in the margins, it gives the standard that it goes. And then it will give you some examples on how to present that. Um, teachers don't go behind closed doors and decide to teach Marxism. And, right. and, and, and what they're going
0: to do. <laughs> and if, if, you ask, if you just send an email to your kid's teacher at the beginning of the year, I'm sure they would be more than happy to tell you what their curriculum was for that year.
3: You know, I have people, when I've been out, and they'll ask me questions. You know, we're teaching CRT. That's a boogeyman. Mm. You know, there is no critical race theory taught That's in public schools. Just What is it? Exactly. Ask somebody what it is. And they will, and I'm on the school board. I go into the classrooms. I've taught in the classroom. They'll go, I know it is taught. I said, well, what is it? And, and they go, well, they're teaching that America is bad. That's critical race theory, and it's like, how? In what way? What? Yeah. What? Tell me. You know, it's it's uh, pretty amazing.
2: All right, let's talk about an issue that um, that's been very important through our conversations with county officials. The last few weeks, we've been talking to county council candidates, county commissioner candidates, uh, sheriff's candidates that, that want to add more officers. Uh, and the, the core issue keeps coming back to growing our tax base so that they can provide more services and adequately fund uh, local government. Uh, so the answer to that seems to be, we need more economic development. Um, what, looking at East Central Indiana and it we'll, we kind of do this snake draft style. So we're going to stay with you. Then we'll work back over to Ron. The, the conversation around, Attracting jobs to, to or part of the state, what kind of things can be located here, and does the government have a role in that?
3: This actually has very much to do with what we were just talking about. Um, I was at an EDC meeting three weeks ago, and they had done a survey, and the biggest need in Henry County, and Rush County's even more so, um, is actually childcare. Um, and if you have those kinds of carrots, you can actually, um, uh, attract more. Um, I know Delaware County, uh, one of the largest employers that they're developing right now, is building childcare in a- as it, as it builds, um, their, their buildings. Um, so, so that's very important. Uh, Rush County is a total childcare desert. So it sounds like I'm beating the same horse, but it actually is very much a grower for economic development. Um, I was at a meeting yesterday about entrepreneurship. And I think that's an important piece of economic development. Um, we have Boar's Head that's building. And in Rush County, we've got um, Diamond Pet Food that's yep. coming in. So we have some, some larger some major, major investments. Absolutely. But the other thing, and we go back to education again, I don't mean to be beating this all the time, but Eli Lilly, who's one of the largest employers in the whole state, is building their next plant in North Carolina. And they said that part of the reason they're doing that is because we don't have an educated workforce that they, that they can use. We, we need more than just people that have a high school diploma. They need those too, but they need people that, that have higher level And and more training.
2: So the NC States, the Dukes and the University of North Carolina are the reason why that they can attract.
3: That and some of our stance on social issues are not very attractive.
2: All right. So tell us, Ron, about your views on economic development and what can be done as a state senator. Well, I have to say Nan
4: just stole my thunder on that one. Um, That's why it's a
2: snake draft.
4: You're going to steal her thunder on the Dobbs decision. (laughs) Um, I, I'm going to expand on the Lilly, but the the CEO of Lilly um, basically at a forum indicted the state of Indiana for this whole situation, or you know uh, said that from a um, we we are changing to an economy of ideas. So manufacturing is part of it, but we are changing to an economy of ideas, and they are uh, outstanding from a standpoint of tax base. Cost of living is great in Indiana, so there's motivation for, for people to come here. But education, he rated it as between an E and an F in terms of enough employees. Um, we ca- they can't get enough people with bachelor's degrees. Uh, nationwide, the average is 34% of the people have a bachelor's degree. State of Indiana is at 20%. Um, we need to do some better with that. Nan started to reach on it. There are social issues that are discouraging the graduates from staying in Indiana and individuals who are considering to move here are changing their mind based on uh, some of the legislation that's coming through. So doing things that improve the education as, as Nan said, that is a main focus, but it fits into so many of the parts of what's going on here in the state. Um, to make that environment better for uh, the economy. Dakota, a lot of the
2: conversation we had in the spring was around quality of life issues when it regarded that too.
4: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that was, um, so let's go. We talked to Nanny. You kind of led us in this direction with, uh, social issues. So the Supreme court, as I'm sure you both know, um, basically sent abortion law back to the States, uh, I want to know both of your opinions on what changes you think should be made to abortion law, and uh, what what you expect at the state house. Well,
4: fit, fitting into the situation, there was an emergency session um, I was, uh, that was uh, called for July twenty fifth. Uh, Se, or, I'm sorry, Senate Bill One was an anti-abortion bill that um, uh, defines. Um, birth no no uh life, life uh, from conception uh to that point it moved it from 21 weeks which is still pretty you know there i just was listening on the way here that uh there was a family that um received really bad news about their 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 growing fetus that at 18 weeks it was a trisomy uh, 18 which means it was going to be um a serious, serious birth defects. I mean, they would have entire life issues associated with it. They only had two weeks to make a decision about that in the state of Indiana. They would not be able to make that decision. Um, Senator Rotz voted for it. it, So the current bill has um, exceptions for rape and incest victims um, and for the health of the mother. And I'm doing air quotes to say, that's kind of a vague term that medical professionals are having to basically figure out whether they would be violating the law, depending on what the situation is. Um, I am pro-choice. Uh, I am not, and I've had this kind of conversation with Senator Rotz, uh I'm not pro-abortion. I'm not saying, oh, you should go get an abortion, you should go get an abortion, you should go get an abortion. But I respect the woman to make that decision with her family, with her spiritual leader, whoever, inserting the state of Indiana into the middle of that is just making a very, very difficult decision even more complicated. I am concerned about the unintended consequences. Uh, I have a friend here actually in in, uh, Newcastle who has an abdominal aortic aneurysm. If she becomes pregnant and has to deliver that child, she is going to die. The blood vessel is going to burst and she's going to bleed out. You can... No contraception is 100%. And we're taking that option away from her. Uh, I had a, uh, was at the f- uh, f- uh, street fair in Richmond a couple weeks ago, and I had a woman come up to my wife and say, about six weeks ago, I miscarried. I bled for four weeks. She was afraid to go to a health professional because she didn't want to be arrested for having an abortion in the state of Indiana she's not liable for that but she didn't know that and was afraid to she could have died by bleeding out or she could have died from sepsis from getting a bacterial infection these unintended consequences really really worry me concerns concerns about the unknown and and,
2: yeah. and folks <clears throat> especially in the early going right yeah. you don't folk people don't know what's going to be prosecuted what if anything is going to be and and yeah. You know, obviously, in the in the first example you had about somebody that has has an aneurysm, then you would expect mm-hmm. that they would that would probably qualify. I would the hope for the mother under mm-hmm. almost
0: any interpretation. Right? It I would hope was it Senate Bill One or was it the House Bill dealing with abortion that, whenever the first draft was written, seemed to be somewhat reasonable, and then as <laughs> it progressed, just kept getting more and more unreasonable. Was that a House Bill? That I'm thinking of? I think so. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because I, th- I think that Senate Bill 1 was very hard-nosed from the beginning. Yeah.
4: Okay. And, and really, no one knew it was in the bill until it was brought to the floor on the 25th. And it was passed in two weeks. Signed in two weeks. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting process when you have an emergency session
2: and you don't necessarily have... Um, it, it very much resembled a federal style of, of, of lawmaking, didn't it, Nan?
3: Well, versus the, know, yeah. we normally
2: have a committee process in Indiana that's right. somewhat transparent
3: and you, right. and you have time. Right. Well, it was strategic. I think that was very purposeful. So this race changed a little
2: bit. I don't know that anybody expected Roe versus Wade to get overturned between when you all filed right. this spring. Yes, uh, exactly. And then you're in the middle of a campaign and once it's not even once a generation. It's once a century style Supreme Court decision comes comes about. What effect has it had on had on your on your race, Nan?
3: Well, in, in talking to women, you know, I say we need to get out and vote, and and, and a lot of women absolutely feel that way. Uh, this is a women's health issue, um, and they feel like the autonomy over their body has been taken away. Um, as in so many things, it's there are a lot of unintended consequences. Indiana already has one of the highest infant and maternal. Uh, mortality rates in the nation this can 't help. Uh, we are losing doctors uh, because they don 't know for sure uh, they don 't feel like they 're going to be able to give women the proper medical care and they don 't know what they're you know when they 're going to be a felon what what 's going to be against the law and what 's not it 's a very ambiguous line as to what women 's health is um, so I think it 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 's hurt on so many different levels um, if I don't know why we had to be the first in the nation. If we really wanted to know what citizens thought about this, you know, the supermajority could have done a referendum and they chose not to. Kansas did. Why didn't we? Why did we have to be the very first ones out of the gate? And why did we have to do it so quickly? Um, and why couldn't we do a referendum to see what people really felt? I don't think the supermajority wanted to have any of those things happen.
0: Or at least, I mean, goodness, how many times a year do you get that survey sent to your house from your state legislator?
2: We do a referendum when we change the constitution. Is that is that the is do they have an opportunity to just have the general assembly ask for a referendum for the people? We
3: can. Okay.
2: So, any specific policies regarding to abortion, or you want to, if if you're elected and and serving District 54 next year, what can be done? What should be done to to roll this back or to change change Indiana?
3: That's a good question and. and you know, not being there, I don't know specifically what protocols could be done. I would think if, if it can be rolled back, I think a referendum would be. Um, I, I think, um, I, I think women are upset about it and, and they should be. Um, this is something that very much affects women health care. The 10 year old that was, that was pregnant today would not have been able to come to Indiana to, to get, um, there are, this is, this is the
2: 10 year old from Ohio that came to Indiana for an abortion.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Um, there's so much ambiguity around all of this. And, and it, like I said, maternal and infant mortality is already, I think we're second maybe in the nation or third. And, um, we are way up there, This, which is, gonna, is not a good thing to be in the top 4 yeah. Can't help but exacerbate that problem. No. Um, there are ninety two counties and I heard somebody in a meeting uh, last week, like forty of them don't even have OBGYNs. Correct. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you you have a four, number four. of rural hospitals that no longer offer labor and delivery.
3: And if it, fewer yes. if fewer doctors are going to be attracted because, you know, of, of these kinds of limitations, um yeah. one it's, of those unintended consequences. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's gonna
4: hurt rural Rural America for or rural Indiana because of that, as you were saying, Rushville. I
2: know when I was a kid, Rushville had delivery, and now they do not. Right, you, you, you can't have your you can't have a kid born in Rush County unless you're born, you
1: gotta go to Shelbyville unless, or unless Newcastle you're born,
2: unless you're born at home. Um, <laughs> so let's
0: are, uh, you go let's, D let's talk about uh, land use. Um, there's a reason we have a windmill in the logo of the Boss Talk of Liberty podcast. Uh, that's because over the last few years that we've had this podcast, the topic of the rights of landowners has been a huge discussion. Ron, did they give you the Henry County primer? Oh yes. Okay.
4: You're fully, my, my very first (laughs) meeting is like, don't mention windmills. (laughs) All right. So, so we're going to ask you about windmills. Thanks. Uh,
3: Thanks.
0: So we do want to know your position on, uh, on bringing wind and solar, not, not necessarily to Henry County, but to rural areas of Indiana. Um, if you think there should be restrictions on those, we've seen a lot of, um, House and Senate bills that have addressed zoning issues to try to make blanket zoning legislation from the state level.
2: Over the past couple of years, you saw attempts at the general assembly to say, Hey, your local planning commission no longer can it can rule over this. And there's going to be state law instead. And so far that's not passed, but we've seen the it happen a few times. Yeah. So this,
3: uh, this is to me, we, we snaked over to me, right? Yeah, go ahead. I, I don't think the state, the the state house has any business going to localities and telling what they can and can't do with land. Um, Windmills need restrictions. They don't need to be around residential areas. Um, Henry County probably is not a a good fit. Uh, Rush County does have especially some solar farms. Um, And I know they are in talking to John McCain, who is the EDC director down there, he says that it really helps their tax base, and, and he thinks it's it's very wise for them to do so. It's not something that, that Henry County has chosen to do. Um, when elected, this isn't about me. It's about my constituents, and I want to have conversations with them and and know what they think. And um, if there is a supermajority, majority, um, I've been told by some legislators that, they actually have been in committee and been told that um, they have to change their vote in committee. He said, but that's what my constituents have told me. And they said, well, that's not what the caucus says. So you need to go back and change your vote. And um, when that didn't happen, they actually lost a parking spot <laughs> and committees and interns. Um, but, but these are kinds of situations where, you know, it's not about me. It's about the constituents, and I would I would want to, you know, follow their lead. Um,
2: so that's something we heard a lot with in, with regard to Representative Saunders is that he voted his district. He didn't necessarily vote the party line. Right. You're intending to have kind of an independent streak yourself.
3: Well, I I actually have not gotten any money at all. I'm running in the Democratic side, but the state house caucus has given me zip um so i'm not obligated to them and um i do have friends that are that are republicans um i would hope that i would be able to reach across the aisle and, and be pretty independent and be able to really represent the, my constituents
2: all right ron you got big uh, big donkey money money coming your way uh no
4: oh damn uh, I, I have had support from the Wayne County Democrats, but uh, just a little from the uh, the state party. All right. Um, so the the land use conversation.
2: Yes. Um, we've had we have a long record of of almost locating a lot of things in our in our area: asphalt plants, uh, biodiesel, uh, ethanol plants, mi- mid to major manufacturing. Uh, solar farms, wind farms. Is that the state's business or should that be local planning
4: community, planning organizations? Uh, I think. County that, commissioners. I think that should be local planning, county commissioners making those kind of decisions. Um, my district is, uh, with Henry and Wayne County, they've both decided not to choose to do windmills. Um, the former district has Randolph County, they have. Um, I've spoken with, um, uh, landowners in Union County who are opposed to uh, a, a an industrial solar farm there. Uh the city of or, um, the um Indiana Municipal Power uh, Association IMPA has put a large number of solar farms around Richmond in what I would consider marginal ground. Um, it's not an agricultural ground. It's um, the exit ramp as you're coming off of uh, I-70 onto the Williamsburg Pike exit. Um, around you can see them on I-70 and in, in um, uh, as you're curving around to go into the into Ohio. Not prime farm ground. I was raised in a farm. Once you put the solar panels over there, that's taken out of production, and you may not be able to recover it even in thirty years when the solar panels have reached their their end use. Plus, the ones that uh, this a uh, uh, constituent in union County is saying they're wanting to put ones that are 25, 30, 40 feet tall. It's going to change the landscape.
0: Right. Yeah. And, the, these industrial solar farms are, are yeah. quite a bit different than what you see IMPA put, yeah. putting up. Yeah.
4: What I would love to see, and I'm an environmentalist is from a, like the solar or wind, um, it, go back to encouraging homeowners to put them on the roofs of their houses. Um, there's brownfields in Richmond where a factory used to stand, but now there's just cement plant them there. Uh, we're probably not going to reclaim the manufacturing, but if we could gain some power off of that, I think that's a plus.
3: Every school building ought to have solar. Oh yeah. On the roof.
4: I'd pay extra to have solar panels over the parking lot at IU East. So you, that you just want the shade. I want the shade. <laughs> I, my car won't be 120 when I go out in the summer and
0: I won't yeah. be, won't have snow on it in the winter. All right. So one other thing that we've talked to uh, state rep Saunders about uh straight ticket voting. This is something he brought up towards the end of his career. And we actually, um, we like to say that it was after we talked to him about it and bullied him into bringing it up and, Ever since he talked to us, he's like, uh, he didn't even let us know that he was putting it up. It was just like one day we're scrolling through the Indiana General Assembly website. We have that kind of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I think I was That's right. ambitious. After, and it was like, it's it was our show like, prep. We, yeah. we take this seriously, man. It was like, oh, wait, there's a bill addressing straight ticket voting. He's been, he's oh, been, oh, wait, it. Tom Saunders yep. wrote for it for years. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. That was, uh, that was an issue near and dear to our hearts. So I'm definitely interested to, to hear both of your opinions on it. And being Democrats, I assume that, you know, it's something that you're concerned about as well.
3: I just um, voted um, a couple of days ago, and I think I had to opt out of straight ticket voting three different times. Um, the very first thing you do, and you have to press a couple of different buttons to do it, is to opt out of straight ticket voting.
2: It tells you you made a mistake, man. You get a big old X on your ballot with the new <laughs> voting equipment here that says, wait, 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 wait! you forgot to choose your party.
1: You undervoted. It told you you undervoted yeah. if you try to skip it. So what is that about? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't put the software in there, but that is a great question. So, um, the, so
2: would you be interested in carrying on this bill that District 54 has had in the past of, hey, let's eliminate straight-ticket voting in Indiana? Very much
3: so. Very much so. It's not something that's done throughout the nation. Uh, we are one of the... I think there's like seven or eight states left at this point, maybe. There's
0: seven states with it, including Indiana.
3: Yeah. Mm. And um, it, it has a, a negative impact very, very definitely a negative impact. So, yes, I would be very interested in carrying that torch.
4: All right, Ron, so would I. Same conversation <laughs> with you. So would I. And you would help her. Yes. All right. Yes, I
0: would. I could be the sponsor at the Senate level. I'd like to hear it. That was the shortest topic that we're going to have tonight. Now we're going to talk about infrastructure. Um, so, Indiana, we've uh, the governor likes to tout that he's spent a lot of money with the uh, next level roads. Um, And there's been a lot of federal grants. We had both Donald Trump, uh, signed an infrastructure bill as well as President Biden, both signed gigantic infrastructure, uh, spending bills. And that has all been funneled to the states for all kinds of different things, uh, roads, bridges, uh, the power grid, things like that. How, how do you foresee the state level assisting, uh, yeah, how do you foresee the states, the state level assisting counties and other localities with fixing their roads? Do you think that that's a possibility? Do you think the state should just focus on state highways? What are your thoughts, Ron? Um, no, I think that well the the infrastructure is the is the
4: bloodstream of the state of of the economy, so it needs to be in good repair. Um, I don't want to see any uh, uh, situations like we saw. What was that ten years ago in Minneapolis, where the the interstate collapsed, right? And and people died as a result of that. Uh, so no, there there needs to be. And I would work with you know what whichever committees. If you know, I probably wouldn't be on a committee right away, but would work with the legislation that would help get that money to the places that needed it. Work with the county commissioners to best uh, uh, work with it. You know, towns. Uh, that's one of the things, um, and I think I mentioned it earlier, reaching out to the people who are the experts in it as well as the people who will be receiving the benefit, the constituents, or the effect of it. So, yeah, I I don't have any specifics on that. Um, I'm the novice here. Um, but, uh, yes, I, I think it's it's crucial to maintain the, the quality of the the infrastructure that we have.
0: Uh, right. what, um, would you s- – a little – tidbit here. We call it the uh, Jerry Walden interchange. Uh, would you support installing? Dakota would call it
2: the memorial but he's still with us and doing just <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah.
3: Can you memorialize somebody still alive?
2: I Man, I think I think Jerry would enjoy that.
3: I, I think, think Jerry would enjoy if that. We got
2: If we get the Jerry Walden memorial interchange built before he's
0: gone, he would be so excited. So, <laughs> What are your thoughts on, a, on an interchange at State Road 103 here in Henry County? At
4: a legislative breakfast uh, the end of August, uh, Senator Rotz actually mentioned that I-70 is in the plans for being uh, expanded to three lanes, both directions, uh, from, uh, well, Mount Comfort uh, all the way to the state line. Um, I cannot recall whether he said that the interchange was part of that process or not. I, I, I can't recall with that. Um, I would say it, it, if it's included in it, it's it's a done deal. Um, if it's not included in that, I'd say it's probably a done deal the other way.
2: Yeah, I don't think they've gotten – so my day job, I'll, full disclosure, is in the road construction business. I don't think they've gotten to the design portion of Henry County yet. Okay, uh, NDOT's next big plan on this I-70 corridor is essentially the Wayne County line heading back to the west. Okay. Uh, so there's about a five hundred and fifty million dollar project to redo that entire corridor in Wayne county okay that's coming in the next couple of years but the Henry county section here is kind of the in between stage that's the, mm-hmm. the the cream filling in the Oreo that we have to get to so I think there's still more time but i um yeah I don't think that one's i don't I okay. don't think the I, decision's made quite yet okay uh yeah but I, it it's one of those things that i that councilman Walden has made it his uh i, I would say his biggest priority he's mm-hmm.
3: on the automation. council side.
2: Yeah, he he talks to everybody about it. So I said we'll get, we'll work this in. So all through the primary, we asked everybody. So I couldn't I couldn't let this opportunity slip by. So Nan, t- tell us about your view on infrastructure, roads, and the Jerry Walden Memorial Interchange.
3: Um, I reached out to one of the county commissioners and, and asked about this, and found out that there are over seven hundred miles of road in the county, which kind of boggled my mind. If you're a road guy, you probably yeah. have a better idea. Eight hundred, yeah, yeah. So well, that's over seven. It is, and. <laughs> Um we'll I, round up. I was told that um, in the neighborhood of fifteen to twenty miles actually get done every year, and it depends upon uh, gas and and wheel tax in, in order. So, um, we do need help from the state, um, and we have to have grants from the state to um, do anything other than just minimal upkeep. Um, of course, we do potholes and stuff as as well as paving. And also that asphalt, the cost for all these uh, materials, and again, you probably are way better, has has dramatically
2: yep. increased. There's a correlation between the cost of petroleum products. So when you see the gas or diesel price sure. go up, that means that the, the amount of asphalt that you can actually buy is also reduced by that value.
3: We have over $5 billion surplus with a B right now. Um, and... So that money needs to be allocated um, for local infrastructure. I, I think that's a no-brainer. Yeah,
2: and so I would I would say that NDOT is pretty well flush with cash for what they're doing, but nobody has said, "Hey, let's expand community crossings." Right? The, the money that that that's the grant money. That's the grant money that the the mm-hmm. local communities apply for every year. Probably a massive opportunity for you to say, "Hey, let's take a billion dollars or whatever." And, and roll desperately need And roll that out to local communities to because, say, hey, let's use it for your community yeah. crossings.
3: Counties, um, especially rural counties, you know, we have an aging demographic. We have a shrinking population. Um,
2: I, I heard that there was a Buick that went right off the road and damn near wound up in the big oh blue river the other gosh. day. Oh, my gosh. And obviously being a Buick, that's an aged driver, right?
3: Do, was there That was any, a jab at me, <laughs> well I saw that picture in the paper were there extenuating circumstances to that did he think he was in some kind of a
2: well uh, the, bad news, movie, the bad news bad news is he's a driver from Richmond so we'll never know
3: Oh, <laughs> but I'm, uh, sorry Ron
1: good thing it wasn't this week that that happened then we would have thought it was wrong <laughs> oh no <laughs>
3: um, and as far as the Jerry Walden memorial exchange there um, it would certainly make sense um, to do it while they are um Making these changes on uh, on the interstate.
2: So, I mean, it, it, honestly, the, the the conversation, and I don't think Representative Saunders was supportive of it. Was adding a fourth interchange in Henry County. Right. right? I, I know that the mayor and Jerry Walden have both said, "Hey, it's going to be good for traffic. It'll be you'll attract more people into the community. You would our our truck route and a lot of our major trucking on the the industrial park that we have and, right. and folks heading down 103 and out of out of the essentially where we're growing our industrial park, some of that traffic would funnel to the south uh, and get out of town faster and safer. But I don't know that we've seen a demand or a, a strong community. And, and I, ask yes, for it. yes, I would
3: like to see some kind of study um, just, just to get some data that say that, that it would be um, what kind of use it, it would have. But I, like you said, we already have in this, at the Southern part of Newcastle, um, I- industry and it might make sense. Um,
2: and maybe a youth sports facility as well coming to town. Um, all right, let's let's talk about. This is looking the using the rear view mirror a little bit, um, but I think it's fair for each of you to have a chance to be involved in this conversation. This is our first election since the COVID pandemic is has been behind us, and the governor used executive power for a couple of years uh, and. Never did call the General Assembly in to, to authorize that power or his um, his actions. He did call an exec, uh, an emergency session for for the uh, the abortion issue, uh, but we didn't have one <laughs> dealing with COVID. So, Ron, I guess we'll start with you. Does the General Assembly need to assert more power over the executive branch, or did the executive branch respond? Quickly, efficiently, and satisfactory
4: to to COVID in Indiana. Um, so, my disclaimer is: I teach microbiology to nursing majors, and um, there have been numerous diseases that have come on the the for, uh, front through through the time that I've been teaching. Ebola had the the outbreak in Central Africa in twenty fourteen. Um, this was a very serious situation. COVID nineteen. Um, we don't realize how close we were to having the entire healthcare system collapse. Uh, I mean, even today, or even last week when I was talking with people, the mental health of healthcare professionals is still an issue. People aren't going into nursing programs. We are going to run a shortage because of the way things happen during that situation. If this disease was even a fraction um, more uh, deadly, you know, more fatalities for the infection.
3: And it was kind of a wimpy virus, actually.
4: Yeah. Um, We were, like I said, Globally, that close to various health care, health systems. Yeah. Thank crashing. God it
0: wasn't what we thought it was at yeah. the beginning.
4: Yeah. Um, and so yes, people had to make unpopular decisions about mask wearing, isolation, social distancing, all of those kind of things. And it, because they were the, the professionals, the experts were learning it as it was happening. And I think that we still need to, in a healthcare situation like this, uh, the executive branch needs to be able to respond immediately to the situation. Whereas the legislature is is a longer. It's like, okay, here is the guidelines on what we want you to do in these situations, but um, it's it, trying to to take that away from the executive branch, take it away from experts, the healthcare professionals that were, you know, let's try to do this. Could it have been better? Sure. If we look back on it and say, uh, "Is it? Did it save lives?"
2: Yeah. Your contention is that adding 150 more elected legislators into the conversation would have made things better. No. All right. Nope. Nan, tell us. Tell us your view. Do you? We could. We could craft this in a really interesting way, but I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> what? <laughs> Tell me more about why you supported Governor Holcomb. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, basically, I, I agree. We have to have um, something where we have expedient response and we have to have people that have access to the professionals and to the experts. Um, I'm good friends with Angela Cox. and
2: She's the county health uh, administrator? Or health. She's
3: the health department director. Yeah. And um, she was on... and um, if we wanted to take things more back when I was thinking about this question I was thinking of coming back all the way to the local because being on the school board we were asked to make some decisions that school board members unless they're medical professionals really didn't know enough about we didn't know whether the kids should really be wearing masks and how effective the masks were and how long they needed to be quarantined and expecting us to make those kinds of expert and professional. um, There probably weren't very many school boards now that the health, you know, uh, department director could, but she was trying to get, you know, vaccinations lined up. She, she was trying to put out fires all over the place and to ask her to do more or make decisions or be in charge of more. We simply on a local level don't have the capacity to make those kinds of decisions during a pandemic, and we need to react uh, quickly. And there's all kinds of things. It was we were kind of building the plane in the air, but we had no choice. Uh, um, well, having said that, if we had taken it very seriously in the very first heard of it, we would have had better outcomes. But um, we need to be we need to be in a situation. And and maybe you need to have a whole other department. You know, maybe it doesn't need just to be the governor, but we need to be in situations where we can handle this very effectively, very efficiently, and depend on experts to lead us through it.
4: All right. And actually, at the national level, there was a pandemic response team that had been developed during the Obama administration, and it was dismantled in the early part of the, the uh, Trump administration. All right. And if that had been in place, um, who knows what the consequence or the situation probably would have been managed a lot better.
3: And we could probably do something like we that, could, even on a state at the level. At state level,
0: yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I was going to keep talking about it, but we'll move on. That's a good place to sunset it. Uh, speaking of sunsetting, the food and <laughs> beverage tech, um, Counties in certain counties in Indiana have been able to place a 1% tax on food and beverages that have been sold in their county. Um, we saw some support uh, earlier this year on doing away with that ability. Um, just want to get both of your guys' opinions on that.
4: Um, actually, I'm going to bat this one back to, to uh, Nan because she has an outstanding story that kind of fits into um why the the benefits of the food and beverage tax
3: ab- absolutely well, I've just been on in on several projects that benefited from this. I'm in healthy right. communities and uh, we go to them it, it's kind of a broad you know it's it's supposed to be for tourism and, and economic development. Well, we do a lot of trails and we we go to them uh, parks have have gone to uh, food and beverage There are a lot of things that we've been able to do to increase the quality of life, which is very important for a myriad of reasons um, for people in this county because of the food and beverage tax. And it is set to sunset. And if there's anything we can do to continue it, um, it is a tax and people don't like taxes. But this is specifically, it's not on groceries. That's not that kind of food. It's on restaurants and beverages.
0: And taxes hurt less when you're paying them directly
3: to the place you live. Exactly. I've, I've come to find. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I think that this is, um, it's kind of an, the, one of the least invasive taxes and it is, it's used for the community. And from what I have seen has been used, been put to very good use. This
2: is, this is a conversation we've had over the existence of, of the show. And we've tracked the application process for these, for these funds. We've tracked uh, the actually getting them out in, you know, into, into the communities. And we've talked to, uh, on the GOP side, I think we had six or seven of the candidates come through these doors. I've never seen a more popular tax
4: than the food and beverage. Well, there you go. If, if, Uh, if
3: a tax can be popular, then that's saying something.
4: Yeah. Well, what I, when I was thinking about this, it is a, it's a tax that you're choosing as part of an, of of a choice that you're making to go out to eat or to go to a restaurant, at at a restaurant or a bar. And it's one percent. So if you've just spent thirty dollars on a meal, you're—it's not a huge investment in terms of your total total uh, thing. If this were—if we still wanted those services, the benefits, and didn't have this, it would come from property taxes, where you really don't have a choice in that uh, process. Well, and
2: I can tell you that as as we have local officials come through, they're coming up against caps constantly. Mm. So you know, as soon as as soon as a county council reduces their tax. The library comes in, and they're 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 going to consume that. You know, even even if you drop the budget for for a park, the school or the library or, the, or another or another taxing Absolutely. entity is going to gonna, is yeah, going backfill that. They don't
3: go down. Yeah. They're going to be there anyway. And since we brought this up, I'll just slip this in real quick. We lose the schools. We I'm speaking as a school board member. One point seven million dollars a year, the property tax caps. It's really hamstrung us. But that's a whole nother cup of coffee.
4: That's the Constitution now.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's in it the Constitution. Is,
4: it, is, it is what it is. One of the things, it's just changing how we, I, I, and I've been thinking of this since the beginning, with a lot of things that we just consider taxes, teacher salaries, capital improvements, if we change the idea that it's an investment rather than an expense, it, it, it for me, it kind of gets my head like, okay, a teacher's salary is an investment in the future of the state of Indiana. It's in the education of it. Um, this tax, this expense of the food and beverage, albeit small, is an investment in the community through the example that Nan had. Um, so part of that is just me getting my head around, okay, if I, you know, some of these things are, yes, they're an expense, and I'm fiscally conservative, I have. You know, balance my own budget, and um and you know, I'm on several committees where we live within the budget that we have. Um, but just even changing that that nomenclature
3: um, the paradigm. can help
4: the paradigm. Yeah. Now I have a wild idea
2: <gasps> to get you guys some more tax revenue, and I know I know government's <gasps> not very good at spending. They're really good at coming up with ideas, but they're not always great at actually. Uh, delivering delivering services that's unfunded what, that's mandates. The, that's the libertarian in me that says, "Hey, we have a lot of government has a lot of great ideas, but then uh, it doesn't work out, and guys with guns show up to enforce the laws that were passed." But I'm not running for anything, <laughs> <laughs> but anymore, but yeah, not this time, and hopefully not for a very long time again. I've learned my lesson. I'm, I'm much happier here. Uh, Ron, should Indiana consider legalizing cannabis at some level? Uh, we've got a governor who says it's a scheduled narcotic with the feds, so we don't dare. You've got neighbors to the north and to the west that have dispensaries with billboards on the state line that says, just drive here and we'll take care of you. And then you have states that say, hey, get a medical card and we can we can sell you some cannabis.
4: Um, what do you think should be the law in Indiana? Uh, yes, I think that we should legalize, um, uh, medicinal and recreational up to limits. I mean, the, I was looking at, uh, Michigan, uh, my, uh, wife is from Michigan and as you say, you cross the state line, actually it's the first like five billboards on I-75 going crossing from Toledo over there are different, uh, rather creative names for the cannabis shops. Um, and yes, uh, so it passed in 2008 for medicinal purposes, um, bringing relief to cancer victims, uh, other uh, individuals. Um, in 2018, it was on the a ballot and uh, as a ballot initiative and passed there. From a tax standpoint, we're missing out on the revenue because all those people are going across the border, uh, especially along, along the state lines that you mentioned. So uh, from a fiscal standpoint, it would, it would be another source of uh, what, potential income.
0: What are your thoughts on uh, Governor Holcomb President Joe Biden pardoning federal um, prisoners who were in federal prison for marijuana possession and calling on governors to do the same. Uh, Governor Holcomb came out with his statement, said that he absolutely will not. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Nan and I had a conversation
4: earlier um, and I'll let her expand on it. But um, I I, I think that's a short sighted um, uh, opinion on it. Um. Until we break the supermajority here in the state of Indiana, um, his comments are going to essentially be the law as long as the the groups behind it, or as long as the the, the supermajority supports him on that. Um, but I, speaking of the, mentioned it earlier, unintended consequences is there's a lot of people incarcerated for uh, what in other states are deeming you know
0: uh, a plant. Um, uh, yeah. That's- a flower that is illegal.
2: Yeah. Nan. we've had the Henry County the prosecutor flower. on, we've had the next Henry County prosecutor on, we've had the last sheriff and probably the next sheriff on the show. And they all say the law is the law and they're arresting tourists as they're passing through from Colorado South to, uh, to Ohio on I 70 and taking pictures of it. What, uh, what, what's, what's a guy to do?
3: I don't have a good answer for that. I, I ag- agree with Ron. um, the states that you've given example, it turns out you go up there and people aren't running in the streets shrieking. Um, the crime rate hasn't increased because of cannabis.
2: I saw what, I don't know if Tennessee has legal weed or not, but those people went crazy after a football game just a couple weeks ago and threw pieces of the whole field did. in the river. <laughs> I so I, I can only imagine what would happen if, if Earlham had we- legal weed and won a football game. <laughs> Earlham. <laughs> oh,
3: that was a nod to you. Ron. I know. With, I know. With Richmond. Um, and I, you know, I have read statistics. People say, "Well, what about you know driving?" And, and there's not a huge change. Um, not only would we get tax revenue, but we could regulate um, what's 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 in um, the cannabis. What you know, what's in. So, I think there are several positives with this. Again, you know, um, I think there needs to be a limit as as to how much. Um, our prosecutors may, but there are a lot of prosecutors around the state that that don't bother because they have just got better things to do. Um, and it, it seems to be um, just regulation that is unnecessary.
2: So, yes to recreational, yes to medicinal.
3: Um, yes, I sit within with within reason for the recreation,
0: recreational for personal use, ten pounds exactly. or less.
3: Yeah, there you go. That ought to do it.
4: I, I think Michigan is like two grams, two point it's it's on a fairly small amount.
3: And putting people And I'd like
4: to look at other states and find out exactly, exactly, exactly. what yes. what how has it worked, what's what,
3: what Jim level levels
0: hey. Although a re- republican. He said that he takes a trip every year to Colorado as a tourist to uh find out exactly what the laws are. <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs>
3: Well, and how much is it costing us um, in terms of putting people in prison?
2: We have a county jail that's full already.
3: Well, and... Um,
2: and I, I guarantee the war on drugs is a big part of that.
3: Talk to them, and you have 85 to 90% of those that are incarcerated around are around some kind of a drug-related. And um, let's see, we have 245 beds. Only 28 of those are for any kind of rehab. We have almost no wraparound services. That's a whole other conversation. Is what we don't do uh, for the disease of drug abuse. In and-
2: yeah, and I, I know we're running running tight on time, but the you know the conversation we've had on this show around criminal justice reform. Essentially, the state government told local communities, "Hey." we're going to load the bullet in the gun and you need to pull the trigger. They said, you can raise your local income taxes to pay for jails. And we said, we're not keeping people in state prisons anymore, but we're going to make counties do it. So then you build a County jail and you fill it up.
3: Well, originally we were told we were going to get money with those people, but for some reason the money didn't fall. You got
2: the authorization to raise your taxes.
3: Well, thank you very much.
2: I ran against it four years ago. I learned my lesson. All right. (laughs) We're at the point in the show where we need to start wrapping up, getting in final thoughts. Cleaning up anything that we left undone and, uh, most importantly, giving the candidates a chance to ask for volunteers and, and to raise money to push you all over the line. Uh, Nan, we'll start with you. You're in the, you're in the chair that gets to go first.
3: All right. Go to nanpolkforindiana.com and you can find out even more about me if you want to. Um, and my donate button is there. It would be nice to have a little bit to push us through to the end. I've
2: noticed you guys have been doing a postcard mailing campaign has been the big the big push here lately. Yes, it has. We saw one I assume you got a hold of the Chamber of Commerce mailing list because I had a I had a card waiting on me here and I had one at home as well. There so. you go.
3: We did do the chamber. Um it's um it's supposed to be one of the most effective and and we're trying to be as strategic as we can. About it because it turns out running for office is expensive. It's, it's too bad. It's, it's prohibitive. It takes,
2: it takes money, it takes people, and it takes a whole lot of time and effort.
3: It certainly does. It certainly does. But, um, I'm, I'm glad I would have been disappointed given all the things that have happened over the course of the year not to be in the position I'm in. So it, it's been a good thing. Very good. Um, and any
2: other issues that you, that are hot topics that you, you feel are important for the race that we've just skipped over?
3: Um, what, well, I, I think drugs are, are, are a very important thing. A, a living wage is is a very important. We have a lot in our communities. We have sixty, almost sixty five percent free and reduced lunch, and during COVID, the school delivered over a million meals. That's amazing, and I'm really proud of that. And I I help them. We have an ALICE population that are kind of the working poor. And ALICE? ALICE is the acronym for it. And I don't know what it stands for, but it just means that they're they're working poor. Okay. And um, given transportation issues or illness issues, they're going to be in poverty. And those were the people that we fed the schools help feed during COVID. Um, so those are all issues that, that our community really needs to work on, needs to address. Very
2: good. Producer Sarah, do you have anything that we've skipped over that you need to you need us to cover? Or are you happy?
1: No, I'm happy. I, I'm happy I, that uh, Nan and Ron came out tonight to discuss the
3: issues. And thank you, Sarah. I appreciate you guys being here and appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. It's it, it it really helps. Would have been nice to have had someone else, you know, to bounce things yeah, off of. But yeah. maybe they'll show up later. But hey, if I know the
1: issues that I care about and I can check at least a certain number of boxes, then. I can make a decision.
2: Absolutely. Sarah, we thank you for stepping in on, uh, on short notice and, on, and being our backup producer tonight again. You're welcome. All right. <laughs> Ron, same, same question to you. Things we needed to clean up, how people can volunteer, donate, participate in the campaign as you got to just a, about a week and a half left to go. Week and a half,
4: 12 days. Uh, actually, one of the topics that we didn't address, but we talked about behind the scenes, was the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about the camping that you've done and are lining up and doing at the beautiful, I mean, the scenery in the state of Indiana is just beautiful and the opportunities that we have here. Unfortunately, uh, Indiana earned the designation this past summer, past spring, of being, um 50th out of 50 states or first out of the 50 states in the number of miles of polluted waterways that are too polluted for recreation. 25,000 miles of waterways in the state of Indiana are, are deemed uh, too polluted. Is that due to
2: stormwater runoff, I assume, wastewater uh, treatment plants that uh,
4: can't keep up? Dad's contributing to it.
1: Is um, the algae part of the problem too? Like very the much green so. Algae?
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You get an algal bloom, and then the
4: oxygen. Yeah, um, I uh, would take students down to uh, canoe on the Whitewater River. I'm a microbiologist, so I would take my conicals and collect the water samples and bring them back and scare the them. hell out of everybody, wouldn't you? Uh, yes, all <laughs> of them. All of the samples come back loaded oh, look, with E. coli. There's a brain-eating amoeba. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but
3: that's not really funny.
0: Yeah,
4: no, it's yeah. not. Um, So, uh, I I would say that both air pollution, education, the uh, environment are issues that uh, uh, the the state legislator, legislature, the supermajority is just ignoring. Um, We need to get some new blood in here uh, to to make some decisions. It's my adopted state. I've been here for 26 years. I love it here. Um, I was so happy to raise my daughter through the uh, Richmond Community Schools, and the environment around here is just just wonderful. Indiana has so much going for it, but we can make it better, and uh, I, that's what I'm looking for—an opportunity to do that. My website is uh, Indiana, or it and I are for Indiana uh, on Facebook. It, and I, it and I are for Indiana dot com uh, website. Yeah, as as Nan was saying. It's expensive to run one of these things, uh, and we're doing it on a shoestring, and we're doing it at a fraction of what my opponent has, uh, but we are making progress. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Uh, now, you're, you're a big Richmond
2: guy. Uh, did you ever cross paths with a fellow named Mark Brim? Longtime mm-hmm. friend of the Boss Hogg Liberty podcast. And longtime no. employee of Earlham College. And
1: the, the timbre of their voices is very similar. I don't know if you guys oh. noticed that. Now, Tempo. Mark
2: Mark ran the away. Timbre, he he the, left the state uh, of Indiana last year, and he started he started a YouTube channel, and he moved to a family farm in South Dakota. I, I assume because they have clean water, uh, and, the, and fresh it's a nice hair. organic
1: farm too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, very so he's good. Got,
2: yeah, he's got an organic farm in uh, in Garrett's in South Dakota. I think it's the Clueless Farmer is the uh, the YouTube page.
0: Clueless Farmer. Uh, yep.
2: But I wasn't sure if you had run Mark out of town or exactly how um, if you had crossed paths. No, I. I no. don't believe we've crossed paths. Mark was the uh, the Libertarian candidate ten years ago in District fifty six for state representative.
4: So. Um, I uh, did, didn't Matt Hisrick run for uh, as a Libertarian yep. in the state. Matt um, ran
2: a few times as yeah. uh, for county commissioner over in Wayne County and a few other things. His,
4: his uh, wife uh, took my daughter to Costa Rica as part of a, a, a project. There you go. It cool. was a wonderful experience for my daughter. Heidi is incomparable. Incredibly small world. Well, thank, thanks for being a part of the show, Ron.
2: We we appreciate you making the time and making the drive over here. Uh, anything else from you, Dakota? Uh,
0: I just wanted to... You you kind of stole my final thoughts. I wanted to mention Mark Brin, But <laughs> 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 I want to give a shout-out to our sponsors of the Candidate Series once again. We have uh, Wildlands Flowers, the Slick Pickle Party Bus, and the Big Bounce Inflatables. All of those, they're great businesses. I said last week, they've spons- they haven't missed a Candidate Series. We hope we're doing them justice. Um, if you're listening to the audio right now, then check uh, check right now on your Facebook because hopefully I've figured something out. Uh, that's it. Well, very good. Thanks
2: to b- both Nan and Ron for being a part of this and and Could making I do the time. Have, and thank you. Go just
3: right a, ahead. Just a real quick shout out. I've had so many so much support and um, my friends and. and They've just been amazing. So I've got a public forum. Thank you all so much. Couldn't do it without you.
2: Yeah. Very good. Um, yeah. It, it It is so much work to I, I've done this. I've been involved with a statewide campaign for governor and I, I've been had my name on the ballot three times. And it is a thankless job to run for office, to put your name forward, to to look at your friends and say, hey, I know you've got other things you can use your money on, but I could really, I think it's important and I, I, I could use your money and it is tough to, the toughest job of being a candidate is fundraising. Absolutely. Uh, and, and when you are not an incumbent and you're not coming from a position of power, the money that you raise is the treasure from your friends and families. You're mm-hmm. not getting pack big pack money. You are, it is entirely grassroots, especially that first time trying to win the seat. So, uh, Thank, very thankful for both of you for putting your name on the ballot and making sure that we actually do have choices in a conversation uh, as as we go into into the election. Uh, hopefully the the voters have have listened. They've stuck with this throughout the entire series. Uh, this program is here to provide a platform and an equal opportunity to everybody on the ballot. Uh, we've had candidates from the absolute far left to the absolute far right over the course of of this program's history. Uh, I will say that this year has been a little bit more difficult to get guests to say yes. I don't know. Maybe it's Dakota and I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we need to change deodorant. Maybe we got a different reputation. I don't know. Uh, but we, uh, we, we are appreciative to the folks that, uh, that do participate.
3: You smell fine.
2: Thank you. And <laughs> it's the, uh, it, it's the beehive it's, body it's, soaps no, probably. No, it's <laughs> the
3: deer butt. There. It's just
2: repellent. I don't like the deer butt. Yeah. Well, you're so, going to have to deal with it. But, but our door is open. So we have, we have if you've seen somebody in a race on here, everybody in that race has been, been invited. And uh, even if we haven't had them on yet, the door's still open. So if you've got people you want to hear from, send them a DM and we'll, we'll squeeze them in. we got next week. It's a catch-all. If we haven't had somebody on but they need to be on, we've got a spot for them. And if not, we're going to have a conversation uh, leading into the election. With that, we thank everybody so much. We'll be back, back next Thursday night, and we'll go from there.